Welcome to the Reformed Media Review. My name is Camden Busey. I'm here speaking with Carlton Wynn, the Reverend Carlton Wynn, who is a Ph.D. candidate at Westminster Theological Seminary studying systematic theology. And uh, we're going to speak today about a book by James Eglinton, Trinity and Organism, Towards a New Reading of Herman Bovink's Organic Motif. It's published by TNT Clark, 2012. Uh, Carlton, tell us about this book. I saw your review in the Westminster Theological Journal. We'd like to share this with our listeners. Thanks, Camden. This is uh, a, a good book, a helpful book. I was excited to be able to review it for the journal. It's, as you can imagine, a pricey one uh, at about $120. So <laughs> chances are listeners are going to be finding this in their local library unless they have money to spend or they're huge Bob Inc. fans. Wait, uh, Amazon has it for one hundred one thirty, so you can save a good $19 there. Oh, very nice. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, it's called Trinity and Organism. Um the subtitle is Towards a New Reading of Herman Bovink's Organic Motif. Yeah. And I think it might be helpful if I just walk through chapter by chapter and I'll hit the main thesis when we get to about chapter three. But in order to set it up, I think I'd like to follow uh, James Eglinton's um, roadmap here. And chapter one is uh, really a contextual overview of where Bovink is coming from. It's got an interesting title, Where Was Herman Bovink? And in some ways, I thought chapter one was the most, uh, one of the most helpful chapters because it really situated Bob Inc. in his own context. I learned a lot about his educational background, the schools of 18th and early 19th century Dutch theology that informed his own theology. Uh, He spends a lot of time talking about, obviously, his education at Leiden under Johannes Scholten. And he argues that Scholten presented to Bavink a theology that took the doctrines of Scripture and divine sovereignty, things we would want to commend, but took them to a rationalist extreme and eventually promoted a very mechanical and ultimately anti-supernaturalistic determinism. So that's going to come into play later on in the book when he presents Bavink's organic motif. This is standing in the background um, Bavink essentially is going to be reacting against and responding to his education in the modernist school at Leiden. So chapter one sets up that context. It explores the rise of neo-Calvinism and the studies of Calvin by Kuiper and Bavink. Uh, he's ultimately going to say uh, that at this time there was really a struggle to define Christianity in light of modernity Mm. in the Netherlands. And uh, Bavink's going to come to be a champion for Reformed orthodoxy as a viable academic discipline uh, in uh, modern uh, academic settings over against the theology that he learned at Leiden. So that's basically the overview of Chapter 1. Chapter 2 sets up the main thesis that has prevailed in Bavink's studies until this book has come along. Uh, the chapter two is titled, How Many Herman Bavinks? And here is where Eglin- Eglinton uh, introduces the so-called two-Bavink hypothesis. Hmm. This is an idea that has come about over time, uh, generated by a famous dissertation back in the day by Jan Wienhoff, probably not so famous, honestly. Um, <laughs> 
two Bavink hypothesis essentially says that Bavink was a split man, that he was a secession preacher, but he was also a representative of modern culture, that he was raised as a conservative, but he was educated at a liberal university, that he was a, a reformed dogmatician, but he also engaged in politics and philosophy and education, that he was a divided man. He walked two roads. He was both for and against Warfield. And so ultimately, as a theologian, he was inconsistent and incoherent. He had modernist ideas that some commentators have appropriated for their own ends, and yet he's also uh, an orthodox theologian. So how are we to reconcile these things? Well, chapter 2 sets up this thesis in order to absolutely demolish it. What Engleton wants to do in this book is argue that Bavink was not a split man. He wants to overturn the Tubavink hypothesis and the way that he tries to do that, and I think does it very adeptly and successfully, frankly, is by looking at the motif of organism in Bavink's writings. Uh, he argues uh, that the organic motif is the primary agent of synthesis in Bavink's writings. Historically, according to the Tubavink hypothesis, the organic motif was the result of his modernist upbringing, his modernist education, that he was drawing on remnants of German idealism or an evolutionary worldview or um, ethical theologians or the history of religion school. Uh, what, what Engleton wants to do is reappropriate the organic motif, show how it is firmly situated in historic Reformed orthodoxy, and, uh, and thereby destroy the Tubavink hypothesis. So that's the overall agenda, and he really explores the motif proper in Chapter 3. Not only is it firmly situated in Reformed orthodoxy, it specifically, he argues, it flows from his understanding of the Trinity. The Trinity is a unity in diversity the absolute personal triune God. And he relates the motif of organism to Trinity in this way. He says that everything in the created world, and by created world I mean not only general revelation, but also in Scripture and in the church as well, everything in the created world manifests an organic unity in diversity that reveals the being and the glory of the triune God. So this is a very basic, fundamental truth, a precious truth for a Reformed Christian worldview. And it was very helpful for me to see how he maps all of this out in Bobbing's thought. Uh, he has this pithy phrase that he uses over and over again, that a theology of Trinity ad intra He's talking about God in and of himself. A theology of Trinity ad intra requires a cosmology of organicism ad extra. Uh, that's a pithy way of stating his thesis. A theology of Trinity ad intra requires a cosmology of organicism ad extra. Elsewhere, he writes that, um, I may be getting this wrong, nothing is quite like the Trinity uh, the Trinity is unlike everything, but everything is somewhat like the Trinity. I'll find it here in just a minute to give you a better um, statement on that. Yeah, but well, that's a, 
you're definitely seeing um, echoes of that in Cornelius Van Til's thought, especially introduction to systematic theology. That's exactly what I was thinking. Part of the reason it was so helpful for me to read this book is I saw the background of the theology that Van Til holds dear when he's formulating his apologetic method. Mm -hmm. Here's the line I was talking about. The Trinity is wholly unlike anything else, but everything else is like the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, So chapter three, he's really working this out within theology proper, exploring the names and attributes of God as examples of unity and diversity to prepare the way for Bobbing's understanding of organism, which is his creational description of how this reality uh, is manifested. So walks through um, theology proper um, before coming to those specific examples in the created sphere that I talked about. Chapter 5 talks about the organic motif and general revelation, how the world is a theater of God's self-revelation, specifically in it, in all of its developing unity and diversity. Um, Chapter 6 moves on to discuss the organic motif and scripture. And he'll talk about the organic relationship between God and the human writers of the, of the scriptures. He'll also talk about the organic unity and diversity within scripture itself among its various human writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll challenge both uh, kind of fundamentalist, dictationist understandings of inspiration versus modernist understandings of inspiration whereby God accommodates himself to the point of human error. Yeah, this Speaking. is rem, uh, reminiscent, or do, I should say Dr. Gaffin treats this type of subject in his book, God's Word in Servant Form, where he compares Bovink and Kuiper. Yeah, see, the way this book, I think, relates to former treatments from a reform perspective of Bovink is that Dr. Gaffin's book picks up specifically Bavink's understanding of Scripture, his doctrine mm-hmm. of Scripture, and defends that particular doctrine. Certainly. I think what Eglinton is trying to do is, by, by making the organic motif his entry point, he's trying to reappropriate and recast the organic coherence of Bavink's entire theology. So he, he's, he's, he's doing what Dr. Gaffin was doing on Scripture, in a broader way, using the organic motif. Uh, but nevertheless, this particular chapter d- deals a lot with Scripture, and he cites Dr. Gaffin's work uh, there. Uh, after doing general and special revelation, chapter 7 is on the organic motif and ecclesiology, which is interesting. He talks about uh, the visible-invisible distinction, uh, as well as the church as an institution, and the church as an organism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unity and diversity, for example, just to give you one, um, the invisible unity of the elect, he says, uh, precedes and provides for the diversity of the visible expressions of the local church. Um, He'll talk about, uh, again, how unity and diversity comes to pass through the institution of the church and its... uh, character as an organism. He briefly has a discussion of church uh, culture type uh, relations. He walks through quickly Kuiper and Bovink's views on those things, um, but doesn't spend a whole lot of time there. And then finally, he offers up his conclusion that ties everything together. Um, No more to Bovink hypothesis. Uh, 
Reformed Trinitarian theology as the foundation for Bobbing's organic motif, uh, not any modernist uh, remnants. And then uh, he closes by, after summarizing each of these chapters, saying that we need a paradigm shift, quote-unquote, in Bobbing studies, uh, one that appreciates this multifaceted theologian who went to work on the data of God's revelation. Hmm. And I think he's successful in doing so. Uh, Dr. Eglinton has written on Reformation 21 uh, some articles there. He's very much in the wheelhouse of uh, Reformed theology. And I think he's given us a very helpful uh, book that should provide a trajectory for future bobbing studies as people dive more and more into these English translations of his uh, Reformed dogmatics. Oh, that's quite useful. And I appreciated absolutely your, your review in the journal, uh, but having having this condensed uh, treatment here on Reformed Media Review is really helpful. Um, is Do you think this would be of any use to people outside of academia if it weren't for the price? I think so, uh, mainly in terms of the way he navigates Bavink's uh, theological starting points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it, I guess, academically interesting to see how Bobbing's theology squared against the even political backdrop and, and academic backdrop of his upbringing. But I think if there's something that uh, the average layman, churchman, uh, interested reader might lay hold on, it would probably be Bobbing's all-consuming commitment to the to the to the triune God mm-hmm. as the starting point for all theology. And, uh, you know, getting that ingrained in the bloodstream is something that takes God's grace and work. But Bavink is a man who could engage in his modern context without slipping on his commitment to Orthodox Trinitarian theism and God's special revelation. And I think, personally, even though it may take a little bit of waiting through this uh, former dissertation, um, I think that's a message that we need to hear today, that that Reformed theology really does uh, bring compelling, life-changing relevance to our modern situation. Bovink believed that, and I think... Uh, Maybe the best takeaway from this book is that the same is still true today. Reformed theology is not for isolated academic geeks, but it is it is the hope of the world, and it actually uh, is immediately relevant, even in a modern context. Yeah, especially with the organic motif. Uh, if If the God of the Bible is who he says he is, um, then we would expect uh, his imprint to be on all sorts of things. And we would expect that our doctrine and the theology of Scripture would bear that imprint as well. And uh, it's quite useful to see the way that Bavink has done his theologizing, and it's uh, really useful, and uh, I'm thankful that we find it here in this book by Eglinton and, and also by, uh, just in your comments. Well, thanks. I'm appreciative that he wrote this book, and hopefully— 
again, despite the price, hopefully it'll get a good <laughs> a good readership. I do notice uh, on Amazon's page they do have a Kindle edition, which is twenty one dollars, which is still expensive for a Kindle book. But but that's great. You can still get it. I don't know what that's going to be like. I've never uh, enjoyed reading footnote heavy books on Kindle, right. but. Um, it's an option. So there. <laughs> it's an option. It's <laughs> there definitely it is. a cheaper option. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks. This has been uh, Trinity and Organism towards a new reading of Herman Bovink's Organic Motif by James Eglinton, published by TNT Clark. We want to thank everybody for listening. This has been the Reformed Media Review. Mm-hmm.